19. We're in a study in the book of Leviticus, and if there was a pole that holds up the tent of this book, it's this chapter, chapter 19. And it declares the holiness of God and the holiness of the people of Israel. That was God's desire. God is making something beautiful out of these people. And uh, He is adorning them in the beauty of holiness. But they don't know how to wear it. They don't even know how to put it on. And so God needs to instruct them. That's what this book is all about. God's opportunity to dress and to uh, ordain Israel as the light of the world. And as the salt of the earth. Like I said, they don't know where the switch is to turn the light on. So God's got to work with them. Leviticus 19 is God telling them they're a peculiar people, an unusual people that he's called out separate from all other nations. But what you need to understand is Israel spent 400 years in bondage to Egypt. So their culture, all they know about their culture is Egyptian. They know that they are the ancestors of Israel or Jacob. Isaac and Abraham, they have those stories and they have that heritage. But culturally, all they know is Egyptian culture. And they come out of Egypt where they were slaves and they're going to go into the promised land that God had given their father Abraham, forefather. But yet those nations in there are even more wicked than the ones they came out of. And understand that there is no righteous standard in the earth at this time. There's none righteous. No one. There's no one that they can follow after. There's no idea that they can get on how to be a holy people. There's no book before. Moses is writing it now. Do you see what I'm saying? So these people are utterly lost when God says, be like me. Like you. Who are you? What should I say your name is, Moses said. I am that I am. What they do know about God as he begins to reveal himself is that he redeems them out of Egypt. He saves them out of the bondage they're in. So they know that he's a God that saves. But that's about it. He provides manna and food, right? Protection. He's miraculous. He's awesome. But this is about all they know. And what God's got to train them to be is that I need you to be my representatives in the earth. And they've got to figure out what that means. They need some detail to this. They need some information. How many of you would agree with that, right? Now, God is calling the church into the same situation that we are to be His representatives in the earth. And so God is forming a national identity to Israel. You see, many of us look at the law and we think, well, the law was bondage and that was tough. No, Egypt was the bondage. The law is the good thing. They have the promise of God that they'll go into the promised land and that their seed will bless all the nations. But they need some structure. They need some definition and they need some understanding. And that's what the law brought them. Paul tells us that the law is good. How many of you set standards in your house? Right? Trash goes in the trash can. Right? You flush the toilet and seat goes down. Right? peace in the house (laughs) right dishes get cleaned is this harsh and wrong no not at all and see the law we look at it in such a way but it's actually good it is God defining for them an identity separate and apart from all the other nations because they are now going to introduce all the nations to their God 
Jehovah. And so they have to do that. And so I like what uh, this man, Michael Williams, said. He said, the call of the law is to translate God's grace into action. The law was given to call the grace into action. You see, they had grace before they had the law. God saved them out of their slavery and out of Egypt freely by his love. And so as he took them out of bondage and by his grace gave them a promised land and gave them an identity, he then added the law to the promise to help define the grace that they were living in. The goodness of God. The identity that they're supposed to have. And so God is teaching them. God's going to instruct them. And Leviticus 19 tells us how God wants them to behave. Chapter 19 really is a laundry list, if you will, of behaviors. He reiterates the Ten Commandments, but he also talks about some of their ceremonial issues, some of their food and sanitation issues, some of their cultural things. It kind of sums it up, but it's, it's bordered around two commands in chapter 19. One is, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Or, or actually, it's, um, be holy as I am holy. It's the very first verse. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. The second one is to love your neighbors as you love yourself. And we'll get into that in a minute. But first he says, be holy as I am holy. What does Israel know at this point in their history? What do they know about holy? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Be holy as I am holy. Well, how are you holy? I don't, what is this? Right? And so God has to instruct them on holiness. What he has to really do is reveal his character and nature. Now, they're not, God's not telling them to say, He's not saying, be omnipotent, all-powerful, be immutable, unchanging, be all-knowing and know all things. That's the nature of God. He's not asking them to be that. He's asking them to carry the moral attributes of God. The love, the joy, the peace, the very character of who God is. You see, other gods in other nations demanded sacrifice of people and blood and and, and had all sorts of outrageous characteristics. But the God of the Bible and the God of Israel is a God who is the creator of all things. And in Him, we see His nature and His character as love, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, patience, long-suffering. And He's trying to train Israel, I need you to distinguish yourselves apart from all other nations. That's what the word holy means. The simplest definition of holy is other than. When you set something apart from everything else, it's holy or separate from. And what he's saying is, I need you to be separate from all other things as I am separate from sin. I need you to be set apart and mine as I am yours. And so what God's teaching them is what it means to be set apart from all the culture and all the custom and all the religious trappings of the world and to come into truth an identity with the living God. It's the same message to the church. It's what we're supposed to come out of the world and come into an identity separate and holy that reflects Christ Jesus, who is the perfect reflection of the Father. You see, God had to train Israel how to be holy. He eventually sent His Son as the exact representation of His image to display 
what it is to be holy. So Jesus lived a perfect life so we can look at that and say, oh, that's it. I get it. So that's how we're to be holy. I want to share two things with you, the necessity of holiness and the nature of holiness. Is it necessary that we be holy, that we would be separate from all the other activities around us? Well, it was necessary for Israel because if not, they're going to either go back to the customs of Egypt, and how many times did we see that happen, right? They were sick of manna. They wanted leeks and onions, right? A little spice in their life, huh? Manna's pasty. Uh, give me some leeks and I want to go back. How many times we see Israel thought maybe we would have been better as slaves in Egypt. You see, you'll go back to the world. Holiness is necessary. If you don't separate yourself from the world, there's always a tug by the world to go back into that old pattern and behavior. Is it necessary to be holy as they advance? Definitely. They're going to go advance in warfare. They have to advance into what is their territory, but there is a hostile enemy there. And so they need to be able to distinguish themselves between the enemy. How many of you have ever had spiritual warfare, spiritual battles in yourself, and you can't figure out where the enemy is? Until you begin to distinguish who you are. Paul does this in Romans 7. He says, it's not all, no longer I who sin, but sin living in me. He separates himself from the patterns of sin and says, that's not what I desire. He separates it enough so he can battle it. You ever see someone box? And they're in the ring and they're fighting and they're boxing and they're getting kind of pummeled. They're getting beat up. So what do they do? They kind of latch on to the other person. Anybody see this? Boxing? Okay, Rocky, one through five. Right? So what does the, the opponent typically do? Push him away. How's he going to get a punch in? We need to do this. Many times the trick of the devil is to get us confused with who the enemy is and we turn against ourselves. We think we're the enemy. It's your flesh. It's the pattern of sin and those behaviors you need to push and separate and say, that's not my heart's desire, God. I have failed you in this area. But it's not me that does it. It is sin, the power of sin, and I'm going to come against that. And so they needed a distinction of holiness. God makes you holy so that you can stand apart from the sin that's within your own life. So you can battle it. Does that make sense to you? And to separate you out of your past so that you're no longer drawn to it, so that you begin to have an identity in Him. That's what He was doing with Israel. You're a unique people, a holy nation. I've called to myself. You need to understand your separateness, your holiness. And so we need to understand where we fit in the scheme of things. Let me tell you, we're in not, not much of a different shape than Israel was. Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3? 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll start at verse 1. There yet? Better hurry up. Took the first service 20 minutes to get there. It's like, what's the deal? Just kidding. 2 Timothy 3. Mark this, or pay attention. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and they'll be boastful and proud and abusive, disobedient to their parents. They're ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, 
not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness or religion, but denying its power, life-changing power, have nothing to do with them. Because you're mingling. You're, there's no distinction among them. It kind of describes the United States, right? And, and quite possibly, if the church begins to take on the temperature climate of the nation it's in, it's becoming lukewarm, right? See, see something, Jesus said, I'd rather have you hot or cold. How many of you know to be hot or cold takes effort and stimulation? But to become lukewarm is to no longer do anything but conform to the environment or the temperature around you. That's what happened to the church at Laodicea. They thought they were rich, spiritually affluent, powerful in the Lord. And he said, you're naked and blind and wretched. Because you've become the... There's no distinction in you. Why would people come to church? Why would you get up early on a Sunday morning to come to church? Unless there's something here that you know you need and you want that is distinct and separate from what I'm getting in the world. There's a connection in something I'm getting here that is life-changing. It's building me. And that's what it means to, to find that distinct place. Why are we making church more like the world? Why are we making it more appealing to the entertainment of the world when it needs to be distinct. And he's calling Israel to be distinct. I don't want you to adapt Egyptian worship. And I certainly don't want you to adapt the lifestyles of the Canaanites. You need to imitate me, says God. And that's what he says. Be holy like I'm holy. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, be imitators of God. How about that? Be imitators of God. Now, th that doesn't mean in a, in a negative sense, you know, that you're not the real deal. But what he's saying is, I want you to act, walk, live, and breathe like I do. I mean, the greatest of these was Jesus. He is the exact representation of the invisible God. And so Jesus is who the Father is. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, we're supposed to be like that with Jesus concerning him. We're to put Christ on and make Christ attractive to the world. Right? And so when people look at you, they go, wow, you wear Jesus well. Right? How many of you have ever seen people who, who imitate others? Uh, what do you call the, the impersonators? Thank you. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember. Uh, impersonator. How many of you have ever seen a really good impersonator? Isn't it cool? Because you know that's not the guy, but he talks just like him. And then he, he does the mannerisms and stuff, right? And when you look, uh, hear interviews of these guys who do impersonations, they study every movement. They get as many TV shows and audio clips, and they listen to the voice inflections, and they look at the mannerisms, and they express them so that they can really get this down to imitate them. God's saying, I want you to imitate me. 
I want you to watch my mannerisms. I want you to watch what I do. Read the Gospels. Look at Jesus. Understand him in such a way. Know the, the heart of my spirit in you so that you don't react out of you, but you react out of me. How would I react if someone cut you off? Huh? Some of you need to impersonate Jesus a little better. Right, but I mean, we begin to take on his attitude and his characteristics, which is other or different than the human condition. We have to break away from our positioning in Adam and begin to walk in our nature in Christ. And so it's necessary for holiness. We read this list and says, in the last days, this is what the climate's going to be like. Therefore, the church must be distinct from the culture we're living in. And that's what he's saying to Israel. Be holy as I am holy. Be distinct. Be different. Mimic me. Copy me. Know my nature. Know my character so that all of the other nations will look at you and say, I want that. Because they're to be the light to the world, the salt to the earth, a city on a hill. That's what Israel was. And that's what we became. What God was pouring into them, he poured through and finished in Christ Jesus so that you and I could be grafted into this thing and become the light and salt of the earth. But we will not be salty and we will not be light if we're not distinct from the darkness. So God is teaching Israel to be distinct. Look at some of these things. He goes into this. He says, and again, he reiterates the Ten Commandments, uh, respect your mother and father. Wasn't it interesting? Wasn't that one of the things in the last days? Not respectful, to the, disobedient to their parents. You must observe my Sabbaths. Do not turn to idols and make gods out of metal and so forth. Uh, when you sacrifice, you know, he talks about their dietary laws. You can eat it for two days. On the third day, don't eat it. It's unclean. Uh, when you reap a harvest of your land, do not reap the edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time to pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the aliens. We're not talking about Martians. I mean, that's a cool thing. Think about it. That's, that's God caring about the poor in the society. As, imagine as many farms and vineyards and, and fields that they had, uh, they're not to go all the way to the edge when they harvest things. And when they're gleaning and picking the wheat and picking the fruit, if things fall, don't touch it, leave it. And then you always had a crowd around the field at harvest time. It was the poor folks so that they could come in and they could get their food. That's a great system. I mean, God cares. And he's saying, that's generosity, isn't it? That's making provision for the poor. So imitate me, says God. You see, if God's teaching them to do these things, he's teaching them his character so that we would learn his character. So that the way he treats us, we would then what? Treat others. That's what he's doing in Leviticus 19. He's teaching them these ways. Now, He's saying, there's, there's a couple things in here, you know, do not steal, do not lie. That's pretty good. Do not deceive one another. You know, in trying to understand this, put that back on God. You see, if he's saying, be holy like I'm holy, and he's saying, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, what's he saying? I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't cheat. Hello? Right? He's saying, be like me. And we, we look at the law and we go, oh, why is God doing this? Why is he putting this burden on them? 
He's trying to teach them his character and his nature. It's not because he just wants to ruin a party. He's trying to teach you the distinction of a healthy life, a long life, a blessed life. Because if you follow these other things, you're killing yourself. And there's no distinction between you and fallen man. So be imitators of me. Be holy as I'm holy. Don't defraud your neighbor. Don't hold back wages. Don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of blind people. That's just mean. <laughs> it's just mean. Don't be mean and nasty, isn't it? You know? I think that's kind of funny anyway. <laughs> Don't pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor. You see, we typically never read this stuff in connection to who God's character is. We read it into the restrictions on us. But how many of you did this with your kids? You gave your kids things that they were to do so that you would shape their character, right? I told you you had rules around your house, didn't you? Put trash in the trash can, dishes in the dishwasher, right? All that kind of stuff. Well, what happens in a covenant is we become responsible to each other. In covenant, what we do is we say, all that's mine is yours, and all that's yours is mine. Covenant says the two shall become one. When God entered covenant with Israel, he said, you and I are one. Your identity is my identity. My identity is your identity. That's pretty wild. What a risk, eh? He did that with you. When you came to Christ, he said, you're my identity and I'm your identity. We're one. What a risk. It says not to take the Lord's name, what? In vain. You know what? We think that means cussing with his name. Really, it's the identification of his name. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't cuss either, but don't take the Lord's name in vain. In other words, you call yourself a Christian. Would God call you a Christian? Are you acting like it? Are you representing him? Are you representing Christ in how you live? If not, you are taking the name in vain. You see what I'm saying? See what he's saying? Now, he's patient with us, patient to work with us. Like I said, what a mess we were when we got saved. It's 10 years, and we're still a mess, but we're getting there. But I thank God he takes us as we are, but, but there's a responsibility in this. Can I share with you the responsibility? Because with covenant, we're to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and body. Now, that doesn't translate in 21st century Christianity. Because when we say to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, we think of an emotional love to God. And when we say loving God, we think this. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Nothing wrong with that. But that's what we equate to loving Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. I have warm fuzzies about Jesus. Love him. Right? But in the Old Testament and in the culture of that time in covenantal language, to love meant, and the, and the, uh, the Hebrew word is, has, uh, let me just get this right. Yeah, hesad. Hesad is the Hebrew word, and it doesn't mean emotional love. It means commitment and obligation. That when I'm in a covenant with you, I am obligated to you, and I am committed to you no matter how I feel. 
And so a covenant in the Old Testament, when they would make this covenant language, you can read ancient writings beside the Bible, but legal language in the Old Testament times, when it's said to love the covenant or love the king or love whoever you're in covenant with, it meant you obeyed them. And to be a covenant hater meant that you were disobedient to the covenant you were in. The words love and hate were completely directed to obedience or non-obedience. Today we say love and hate, and it's all about our emotional condition. So we can come to church, and we can praise, oh, hallelujah, feel some love towards God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, go do whatever we want to do, which is disobedient to the will of God. But we say we love God. And in biblical standards, you don't. Proof's in the pudding. What you do. Are you obedient? My kids, you know, I tell them, clean your room. I love you, Dad. Clean your room. I love you. Yes, clean your room. But I love you. I'll hug you. And it's like, I know you love me, but if you loved me, you'd do what I ask. I remember having an epiphany when I said that to one of my children. And I immediately remembered that verse that Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I say. Doesn't that make sense to you? You see, emotionally, I don't feel like cleaning my room. I can change your emotions quickly. Yeah, I can give you emotional options. Sorrow or joy. The joy includes cleaning your room. The sorrow, on the other hand. You see, don't tell me you love me, but not do what I ask. And so he has to breed and bring that into Israel's knowledge and understanding of who he is. That if you love me, you'll obey me. Don't go back to worshiping a cow from Egypt. You can't do that. I need to discipline you so that you'll begin to understand the necessity of holiness. So when you say you love God, it means that you will imitate Him. You will follow Him. You will learn the character and nature of God in your life so that you can manifest it to others. That's what it means to be holy as I'm holy. Now, we go on and he says, what is that nature of holiness? What is that? How are you supposed to imitate something that... Listen, by human nature, we're fallen. That's a dirty, rotten trick to command that I'm supposed to be holy when I am in sin, by nature, a sinner. Isn't there a contradiction of natures there? Right? You've got to somehow get me out of this old nature so that I can imitate the new nature. And that's what the cross is all about. By going to the cross, Jesus took the nature of Adam in all of us, nailing it to the tree and the condemnation of the law against him, burying it so he could put his nature in us. So now as believers, when God says, be holy as I'm holy, and Peter uses the same scripture out of Leviticus 19, be holy as I'm holy, we can because he put his own nature in us. Now we have no excuse to be holy. I can live out the nature that God put in me morally. 
He goes on, he talks about, you know, in Leviticus 19, he says, you know, don't mix the garments, the kind of, you know, wool and satin and all. Well, what, what, what is that? I'm sure I've got all sorts of blends going on here. This is shiny. I don't know what this is. It's all mixed together. Oh, I must be in sin. Now, you know, with Israel, they didn't have an indwelling spirit, so he really had to give them like children, he had to give them instruction all along the way to help them understand. You know, so he's saying, don't mix the seed in your fields. This is, like, hopefully obvious. You don't put corn with wheat in the same field. Harvest time's going to be a bear, you know? So he's saying, keep things separate and unique. So what is he teaching them in their mundane, every activities of the day? Uniqueness, distinction. You're a distinct people. The devil wants you not to con think, consider that you're distinct. But God has put his spirit in you and made you a holy people. You are distinct from the world. You are not to live like the world, talk like the world, and carry on like the world. You are a unique people. And you've been brought out not to mingle and mix yourselves, be, not to be unequally yoked, but you are to be a light to the world. There's got to be a distinction so someone knows where to go to get help. Right? They've got to know where you are. And so your distinction, that's what he's doing with all of these things. He goes in and he talks about when someone dies, don't cut yourself or put tattoos. Or he says, don't trim your beard or your sideburns and all that. And so they literally do all that. But all of it points to the cultures around them. The cultures would, would do different religious activities with their hair and cuts and tattoos that, that you know, was connected to some kind of cultic worship. He says, I'll have none of that. It's just me and you. Does that make sense? All right, so that's what 19's all about. And, and he goes on and he says this in verse 18. He says, to love your neighbor. So he's saying, imitate me. Now get this, get this. He's saying, be holy as I'm holy, so imitate me. And then take that imitation of me to your neighbors. Do you get it? All right? We're not all supposed to be held up in this place. Put bouncers at the door. You saved? You're not saved? You can't come in here. Keep everything away from us because we're the saved and they're not. They're unclean. Oh, we go to Christian restaurants. We take our boats on Christian lakes. Right? We, we can't do anything with unchristed. They're unclean people. We're so separate from them. That's not what he's saying. What he's in fact saying is, I want you to imitate my character, my nature, who I am, and now I want you to take it to your neighbors. You see, a tree is supposed to bear what? Fruit. Have you ever noticed what's the brightest color on a tree? It's fruit. They're flowers. They attract everybody. Right? Where's the sweetness? They come to eat. That's what a tree is, to bear fruit. And the fruit is what attracts the animals and the people and the bees and the honey and the birds and the, all of it is attracted because of the fruit. So he's saying, I want you to imitate me so that as you imitate me, your neighbors and your neighborhood will come to you to know who I am and come into my life. That's pretty cool, isn't it? What a design. 
God is awesome. Now, here's what the Jews did. They came to Jesus. They had Leviticus 19, but they came to him and said, hey, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Well, if they would have read Leviticus 19, he says right here uh, in verse 11 and 17, it's your fellow countrymen. The Jews understood that. In verse 10, 32 and 34, the alien and the foreigner. Verse 14, the weak and vulnerable. Verse 17 and 18, your enemy. Jesus summarized Leviticus 19 this way. There was a man walking on a road and got jumped. And then a Levite came and a Pharisee came and then a Samaritan came. And the Samaritan, Samaritan, I said Samaritan. <laughs> Write that down. I think we got something here to use. Anyways, the Samaritan came and he becomes the hero of the story because he is the one imitating God and that offended the Jews. A Samaritan? They're half-breeds. They're not Jews. What was Jesus trying to get at? First of all, who is your neighbor? Anybody in need. Anybody you're around is who you're supposed to share the love of God with. And the Jews wanted to keep it separate only to our people. They, they got the first thing, be separate from everybody else, but they didn't get the second part of it, and love your neighbor. So they all wanted to be as holy as they could like God, but they didn't complete the picture of him, did they? They needed to share it. Now look at you have the ability, because God put his spirit in you, to now bear the very fruit and nature of God. Because God's spirit of what? Holiness. We call him the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of holiness. He is the exact representation of God put in you. I can talk like him, walk like him, act like him. His nature's in me now. And so I can bear holiness What's holiness? Well, it's, it's a suit and a tie and, and your hair not touching the, your collar. And, and how have we defined holiness? How has the church defined holiness? What a mess! But what is the exact representation of his nature, which is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control... Isn't that awesome? That's what holiness is? Yeah, the nature of God. Imitate me and take it to your neighbor. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. That's what we're to do. That's what Leviticus 19 is teaching. The gospel. It's right there. The gospel. Now, there's all sorts of types of holiness that we've seen, haven't we, in the church? Let me share a few ideas with you of, of some holiness. One is uh, positional holiness. You really get holy when you have a title. I'm Deacon Jones. I'm Reverend Tim. Well, Reverend, I am Bishop Apostolic General. See, we go into this and, and, and we get it's kind of funny, but we, we figure that we're more holy with the titles we get. I can't wait till I can be an usher, then I've got a title. It doesn't matter. There is no title in the kingdom. You, when you read scripture, do you know what Peter called Paul? Paul? <laughs> he did. You know what Paul called Peter? 
Peter. Do you know what Paul called himself? Paul. An apostle of Christ. But first he said, I'm Paul. They didn't get into title because there was no need for title. The only reason God has titles is because they're descriptions of who he is. I'm Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, I'm Jehovah Jireh, I'm your provider, I am the, you're this. Uh, the title of Lord is the name of, of who he is sovereignly. But the point being, we don't, we don't get greater holiness because of our titles. You know, some people think that, like, for example, me, they think I'm closer to God because I'm a pastor. <laughs> you already know that ain't true. <laughs> it's like internet. How many of you have internet, right? See, when you become a pastor, you get high-speed internet. <laughs> the rest of you have dial-up. That's not true at all. There's no greater holiness because you have a position of authority or you don't or you have this. We all have the Spirit of the Lord within us. And so we are all to be holy and imitators of God, and we all have the same holiness and access to that. What about uh, religious piety, right? Holiness because you go to church. It's about 60% of Christians don't attend church anymore. You must be holier. 